Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We ask the outpouring upon that spirit as well, that it would become one with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were asked to identify the greatest power that you have ever known, I suppose we would come up with many answers. But the one I want you to notice this evening is nothing more than the spoken word of God. God said, and it came about. Nothing can be greater than the spoken word. The same one who spoke and the earth came into being, the stars and all of the heavenly bodies came into being and the earth was created and all of the animals and all the plants upon it is the same voice who one day sitting in a little boat on the sea when the disciples were so very much afraid that they were going to sink simply stood forth and said to the waves, Peace, be still, and they all ceased. The same voice. It was the same voice that stood outside the tomb of Lazarus when he had been dead for three days and his family mourned for him. And One of his sisters said to Jesus, Had you been here, he would not have died. Who stepped forth and said to Mary and Martha, He is not dead. And then said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He came out of the grave, still wrapped in the grave crumbs. He was alive. The same voice. The same voice that speaks to your heart and mine. The same voice, Delbert and Thelma, that spoke to your hearts this morning and caused you to step out of your seats and come forward and take a public stance as you gave your life to this same person who created the world. And we have all, hopefully we have all gone through that experience. And we have come to know from a personal experience the power that is in the voice of the one who calls to all of his creation. That's the one that brought this world into being. The real mystery really is not how did God create the world. The real mystery is why did he create it. That I don't understand. I can comprehend more fully the how of the creation than I can the why of the creation. But yet... As the story unravels, and we will conclude it next week with the creation of mankind, we can begin to see that it was in preparation, this whole creation of the world and all that there is, was in preparation for providing a place for his ultimate creation, mankind, to have a place to live. There is nothing that rivals the beauty or the complexity or the mystery of the human being. That he is body, 
but he's also soul and he's spirit. And somehow all of this God gave life to. And doctors are still searching for the, the answers to how the body functions. And you know as well as I that so many times they come up against dead ends and they cannot comprehend what is the problem or why does it function like it does. But yet there was a voice that spoke us into being and created us as we are. And for us, he established the earth and the heavens. The earth that we might rule over it. And we'll talk about that next week. God said, let there be light. The first part of his creation. I used to think that this simply meant that he had already created the stars and the sun and the moon. And that he now is simply moving back all of this turmoil, this mass of confusion that seemed to be present in verses 1 and 2. When in verse 2... Uh, the scripture says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep that he was moving back this darkness and the light of the sun was beginning to shine through I don't believe that anymore I think I see it more clearly than I used to see it normally we think that light comes from the sun in the daytime and from the moon and the stars at night but that's only partially true for we find that the sun and the moon were not created until late in the episode of the creation. It was several days down the line before we find that God ordered the existence of the moon and the stars. And I've discovered something that has made this story more dear to me than it had ever been before. When God said, let there be light... He said something so extremely important and so vast that it's hard to comprehend really what he was saying. If you go to the dictionary, as I went to the dictionary in preparing this sermon and looked up the word light, Webster says this, something that makes vision possible. Something. What was the something? And I began to think about that vague word, the something that makes vision possible. To realize that it was impossible for man to, to define light in such a manner that we could comprehend it, that he had to use a vague word like something that is not defined. What is it that makes vision possible? What is it that makes it uh, makes us capable of seeing what well, it's light. And God said, let there be light. First John 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Then my mind began to click and I began to see that what God has said in the very first day of his creation was to allow himself to exert 
his influence, his presence upon earth. Not to allow some physical thing like light from the sun to appear, but that his presence would be felt upon his creation in a magnificent way. The radiance of God burned away the darkness to allow life to begin. For without God, there is no life. Without light, there is no life. The light that is in this world is the presence of God. And when the Spirit of God hovered over this mass of confusion, identified in verse 2, he was talking about God himself, the Father, the Creator, being present in this mass of confusion, and this mass of confusion began to change and take different forms because of the presence of God in its midst. The same thing that happens to a person when he becomes a Christian. He is in darkness. He is void. He is worthless until the presence of God takes place in his life and then things begin to happen and change, and we're a new creature. Why? Because the light of God has broken through the dark shell that Satan has placed around us, and we spring forth into life. And now there is no more darkness in our life. There is light. It's the presence of God. Without God, there is no light. Because it is not the sun and the moon that he is referring to nearly as much as it is his presence. In Revelation 21 and 22. Well, first of all, in verse 4, God saw the light and it was good. It was needed. If you look in Revelation 21, verse 23... And stay there, because we're only going to go to verse, chapter 22. 23rd verse of the 21st chapter of Revelation. We've gone from Genesis to Revelation. The last book. In John describing what we have come to call the holy city, or heaven, or the presence of God, listen to the words. The city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it. Had you ever thought of that? There is no need of the sun and the moon to shine in the city of God. Why? For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Jesus Christ is all the light that heaven needs, do we need more? Is he not sufficient for us? In the creation of the world from the beginning, it was the presence of God that brought life. In the ultimate place of our abode, in the future when we have gone to be with the Lord, it will not be the sun and the moon and the stars that shows us the way around. It will be the radiance from Jesus Christ himself. All right, glory to chapter 22. 
and verse 5. And there is no night there. Notice there are going to be no night then. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now after tying these two verses from Revelation to the verses from Genesis, that's why I say the light that he talks about in the third and fourth verses is not light from some object that he created, but it's his own presence that is felt in the creation. John 8, 12. One more verse on the subject. Jesus speaking. Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Can you grasp that? Separation from God is described all through the Bible as darkness. People have said to me, well, I may go to hell, but I'm going to have plenty of company. I don't know if you've ever been in absolute darkness. Only one time I know that I have done that, and I was in a, in a cave, and they turned the lights out. And for the first time I experienced what it meant to not be able to see my hand in front of my face. There was, was darkness. And it reminded me that I was alone, even though I, were, I was with a great crowd for I could not sense the presence of another. I had been cast into utter darkness. And that was a description of hell that came real to me at that, <clears throat> excuse me, at that moment of time when I realized the darkness of the presence in that cave was just a slight inkling of the absolute darkness that is called outer darkness described as hell separation from God. If God is light, then hell is absolute darkness. If heaven is good, then hell is the absolute opposite. Light and darkness are the opposite ends of things. Light gives life. Darkness kills. Do we walk in light or do we walk in darkness? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Or have you yet to experience the light shining in your life from him? All right, let's go on. Verse 6, God said, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. You know, this, this was a mighty task to perform. All of this vapor, all of this water, perhaps even ice that was upon earth, he began to separate. Some he moved upward and some he pulled downward. Scientists say that in the atmosphere, there, the water vapor that is there on any given day around this world weighs 154 trillion, 460 billion tons. That's how much water is up here. Enough water to cover the earth three feet deep all at one time is in, the, is in the heavens. Now, today, 
let me rephrase that. I made a mistake. I thought I did. That's too much water. There is that much water up there. That notch does not fall. I mean, up there. The amount that falls each day upon the earth would be capable of doing that. He moved water up. He collected water on the earth. Why? In order to bring dry land out. Verse 9 says that he began to raise the continents and dry land appeared. He began to deal with the deadness of this world upon which no life existed. The dry land appeared. Verse 11. You will discover that the plant life began to appear. When he says, the earth will bring forth grass and herbs yielding seed and fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. There are over a hundred thousand species of plant life upon the earth. There are five thousand species of grass alone. And he says that each of these will bring forth after its own kind. That law has not been violated from the day of creation until this day. Life upon earth reproduces its own kind. We spoke of that a little last week. I have never seen anybody proclaim that a clover ever transformed into an oak tree. Neither have I ever seen an oak tree upon which apples grew. I have never seen the mighty willow standing by the stream change into the little grass that you mow in your yard. Nor is there any scientist who has any intelligence at all and thinks anything about God who would but admit and acknowledge without reservation that plant life produces after its own kind. There can be some changes and some mutations and all of those things and graftings that can take place. But Joyce Kilmer was certainly right when the poem was written. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree and concluded that poem by words I think I'm right in saying, fools like me can make a poem, but only God can make a tree. That stands true, and it has never been violated. And we will see the same thing is true when it comes to animal life. They produce after their own kind. Then we go to the 14th verse where we discover that God then places the light in the firmament in that part that he has separated to call the area where the stars are and what we usually call looking up into heaven. Uh, that's not the presence of God. That's still further up, presumably. But he creates two particular lights. One he calls the sun and the other he calls the moon. Now, in that day and time, the astrologers were teaching, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, astrologers were teaching that the bigger light is the moon and the lesser light is the sun, based upon their visual appearance. 
All of us have seen the harvest moon in the fall and see how magnificently large it is as we gaze up at it. And if we could put the sun as we might look up at it in the daytime beside that moon, we would say the moon must be larger than the sun. Anybody in their logical mind would have to say that until we come to know that the sun is 93 million miles away and the moon is only, what, 176,000, isn't it? We know that because science has told us that. Moses went directly against the scientific teaching of the day when he said in the scripture that God gave the greater light to rule the day and the lesser one to rule the night. And he was referring certainly to size. He went contrary to the teachings of that day. How did he know that the sun was the larger and the moon was the smaller except he is writing by divine inspiration of God? Now, scientists tell us that the Earth and the other planets were probably spin-offs from the sun. I can't dispute that, for I'm no scientist. But it makes no difference to me if they did spin off. It was done in order that the Earth might be created to make a place for man to dwell. And you see, this old Earth is going to be transformed and changed. And after we're done with it, and we've been taken up to heaven, and he comes back down and purges this earth and cleanses it and purifies it, it's going to be repopulated by God's people. This is going to be a permanent dwelling place for those of us who love the Lord, but it will be changed and transformed. It will be brought back to the perfect state that he created it in in the beginning. But this time there will be no devil to disturb it, no evil to abuse it, no sinful man to rape the landslide, landslide. Because it will be made perfect. God's perfect people will live upon it. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.